The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Okay. Today on the lab report, we're going to talk to Dr. Elena Zinkoff. She wrote a great book on cravings. Cravings? Uh-huh. I've got a few of those. Like what? Ice cream. Potato chips. Mmm. Bagels. Cookies. Lobster? Huh? The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Do you really crave lobster? No. What? Never have. Why would you say lobster? I, I don't know. I don't know why these things come out of my mouth sometimes. Much like every day here. Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How are you? Doing so great today. Welcome great. to the Lab Report. Welcome, everyone, to this podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Guess what? what? We talk about things like functional medicine, hmm. specialty lab testing, wow. integrative therapeutics, hmm. and uh, some other stuff called the like. <laughs> And if you like what you hear, you should go to iTunes or Spotify and maybe subscribe to this podcast. Yes. Rate, review, some stars. Please do that. Some feedback. That would be helpful. That helps us spread the word about the show. Totally. Helps improve our overall popularity. (laughs) Do we (laughs) have popularity? Never again. Never have (laughs) had any. But there's no time like today. (laughs) Or like the present, I guess I should say. That's kind of what I was going for. Okay. Tough sometimes. (laughs) These microphones. Anyway, if you have feedback, you can send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net, and uh, we will review your emails. We appreciate all those emails and the feedback. Helps uh, create some of the content for the show, too, so thank you. We love them. Thank you. And today, we're going to meet Dr. Elena Zinkoff. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. Mm-hmm. It's always good to have another naturopath in the house. Ugh, um, I'm outnumbered again. Two to one. Look out. <sighs> Every day. We're going to be talking about naturopathic stuff. I know. Well, she wrote a really interesting book about how to reset cravings which is something I think we should all really pay attention to. Yeah, I, uh, I'm excited to get into this, all the different multifactorial uh, dynamics of cravings. And, uh, you know, it's we're, we talk a lot about behavior change and how mm-hmm. this is behavior change medicine, and cravings are really at the core of dealing with a lot of the struggles yeah, uh, and with behavior change. Yeah, and we think that this is seemingly out of our control, but in essence, Dr. Zinkoff is going to talk to us about Ways to approach this from a functional medicine standpoint. Sounds good. Let's just uh, go ahead and bring her on. Great. Hey, Patty. Huh? On today's podcast, right? we have Dr. Elena oh, Zinkoff. Oh, believe me, I know. Let me tell you a little bit. Okay. Dr. Elena Zinkoff is a naturopathic physician and founder of Proactive Health, an award-winning integrative clinic. Dr. Elena's view of health is shaped by 20-plus years as a competitive tennis player where she learned the power of nutrition and fitness as a therapeutic tool. Dr. Zinkoff earned a business degree from the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, and soon after, she completed her doctorate in naturopathic medicine from Bastyr University. In her current practice, Proactive Health, she works with patients to address their issues holistically and lay the foundation for sustainable improvements. She's an expert in balancing women's hormones through her signature program called Hormone Potential Therapy. Dr. Zinkoff is the author of the book Crave Reset, a breakthrough guide for mastering the psychology and physiology of cravings. She has been featured on numerous podcasts and several national magazines, even being named top naturopathic doctor in both Seattle Met and 425 Hmm. Magazine. So with that... Welcome, Elena. Welcome to the Lab Report. 
Oh, thank you so much, you guys, for having me. It's such a great honor and pleasure. Awesome, awesome. Well, Michael knows, Elena, that I'm a huge tennis fan. <laughs> so how did how did being a competitive athlete and a competitive tennis player lead you on the path to naturopathic and functional medicine? Yeah, that's a great question. As an athlete, I quickly recognized just the importance of the foundations of health. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we talk a lot about in naturopathic medicine and in functional medicine. What are the foundations of health? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you're an athlete and whether you're a young athlete or a mature athlete, it's really important to focus on performance as a byproduct of your diet, lifestyle and exercise. Mm-hmm. And as a competitive athlete, and I played semi-professional tennis, I, I played in Boletieri Academy in Florida, hmm. and I played right next to um, some of the pros that we know of. And we had access to nutritionists, we had access to trainers, we had access to sports psychologists, massage therapists. And in a way, that was my exposure to you know, to functional training mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. And I... I, I always talk about this, but my, my background as a competitive athlete really shaped my approach to health and really talking to patients about before we get into some complex things like gut health and hormone health, let's work on that solid foundation. Right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And part of that foundation too, at least in functional medicine is about people's behavior, you know, what they're doing, what their choices are around diet. And that can be difficult for a lot of patients for reasons that they believe maybe sometimes it's not in their control. And you actually wrote the book Crave Reset, which hit this topic straight on. So let's, let's get into a little bit of the physiology of cravings and some of the root causes we should be considering uh, as it relates to cravings. Yeah, Absolutely. One of the things that I like for people to know when it comes to cravings is that a lot of times it's not just a matter of willpower. Mm -hmm. And I hear patients talk about this. And at some point in time, we all have experienced this, both men and women, where the craving is so strong that it's almost beyond us. Right. 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 And when that happens, it's like, why can't I just put that chocolate are down? Why can't I just say no to that second slice of pizza? Why do I have such a strong craving for sugar that I just, I I must have something. Uh And when that happens, we have to take, we have to take the naturopathic or functional approach to cravings, which means looking at the body as a whole, looking at symptoms as a byproduct of how all the different systems are working together to produce that craving. Mm -hmm. And so even in the book, Crave Reset, I really talk about brain health and the importance of having healthy neurotransmitter levels that can regulate our cravings, gut health and how our microbiome shapes our cravings. And then of course, hormone health and stress and lifestyle as things that can also influence our cravings. And that's not really conventional for people to think about when, sure. when people think of cravings, they're like, well, of course, I'm just like craving chocolate or I'm just craving right. ice cream. What they, what I think the majority, maybe 90% of the population don't realize that those cravings are shaped by all of these different systems in our body. 
That's, yeah. that's fascinating. And I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people, when we think about cravings, it's like, oh, this is something that occurs top down. This is my brain. Right, uh, right. You know, and some sort of imbalance in my, my neurochemistry. So I, I think it's interesting. Let's, let's talk a little bit about some of these elements that you laid out. So what specific hormone imbalances, how does, how does hormone imbalance contribute to cravings? Right. And this is where really naturopathic and functional medicine comes into place because whenever we're having a hormonal imbalance and really the main hormones that I think about when I'm thinking about food cravings, it's adrenal glands, including cortisol, Mm -hmm. thyroid, Mm -hmm. and then sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And classically, whenever people are burnt out and they're producing either too much cortisol or they're not producing enough cortisol, they'll crave sugar. And okay. with a thyroid hormone, the, uh, with thyroid hormone imbalances, such as an underfunctioning thyroid gland, people can crave both sugar and salt. And same thing with adrenal glands. So they kind of go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And a classic example with low progesterone levels in women, which, depends, which, can, which can happen around the cycle time, women will, will start to crave chocolate mm-hmm. and savory things. Mm-hmm. So there are... There are a number of hormones, including adrenal, thyroid, and sex hormones that can contribute to cravings for sugar, salty, and savory foods. Interesting, which it makes it important to really take a look at that HPA axis first yeah. in functional medicine. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And, it be, and it's actually a really easy thing to do. So a lot of times when patients come to me and they're like, you know, I'm just, I don't feel well, I'm feeling tired, mm-hmm. I'm not sleeping very well. And then I look at their dietary tracker and I'm seeing, you know, that they're starting their morning with a piece of toast. Uh, then they're having a sandwich for lunch and they're having some dark chocolate between lunch and dinner just to keep their energy up. So they become really dependent on carbohydrates to keep their blood sugar stable. And then when we look at their blood work and we're seeing, huh, their T3 is a little bit on the low end, right? Mm-hmm. Their uh, cortisol is maybe either through the roof or um, too low. And then it, it becomes this whole picture where they're like, that's interesting that my cravings are being guided by the physiology of hormones. Right, right. Well, what about specific nutritional deficiencies? Can, you know, having a functional deficiency in any specific nutrient trigger cravings? Absolutely. Some common examples, and I'll actually kind of tie this into a little bit of um, the neurotransmitter component, but a lot of nutrient deficiencies, specifically B12, vitamin D, iron, and magnesium, Hmm. can really contribute to some major cravings. The reason why vitamin B12 and vitamin D are so important, and a lot of times we're kind of going into the fall, winter season, Mm -hmm. and even in the spring and summer as people start to smother themselves with sunblock, we're not getting that same sun exposure that we want, that we need in order to have the proper vitamin D absorption. But why B12 and vitamin D are so important is that they contribute to serotonin production. Hmm. And serotonin is one of the most important neurotransmitters that regulates our cravings, specifically around sugar. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of, we're, we're, we're dealing with that's, that's the other pandemic is the dependency on sugar, Mm -hmm. which results in all sorts of metabolic disease, including diabetes and cardiovascular issues. And 
when we have B12 vitamin D deficiencies, which leads to serotonin depletion, then guess what? Then we start reaching more for sugary, sweet things that can help to produce that serotonin can kind of help with that little serotonin spike. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's interesting. And, you know, another facet that you talk about in your book is the microbiome. And here at Genova, one of our flagship products is the the GIFX stool test. And we know that diet can dramatically affect the microbiome. So what are some concepts that that correlate or relate the microbiome and dysbiosis to what foods a person might crave? So first of all, I love, love, love the GI effect test. I am the number one fan. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you for saying that. That's awesome. I I have to say, you guys, that you've done such a great job with that test because I'm just going to go on a tangent and just talk about how amazing this test is. Go ahead. I mean, I, I mean, I use it every single day in my practice and, you know, I sometimes see like 14 patients per day and Mm -hmm. most of them, you know, have completed a GI effects test, but you guys have done such a great job with making it easy to interpret for patients and physicians and Mm -hmm. with nice diagrams showing where people are in terms of different cohorts and understanding really the different imbalances from enzymes to bacteria to parasites to yeast overgrowth. And then you also provide a solution, Mm -hmm. right, for how to fix those things. And so it is by far one of the best test and I always tell people you're going to know more about what's inside of you than you ever imagined awesome what a commercial thank you (laughs) oh oh well this is just coming from the heart this is just coming from the heart you know and and I know a lot of my patients just really appreciate the in-depth analysis but our microbiome so I I talked about how you know even as an as an athlete I, I realized the importance of diet and whenever we're even thinking of um cravings we want to make sure that we're reducing processed carbohydrate intake because the more of those carbohydrates we eat, that affects our microbiome. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually feeding different bacteria species that are then saying and producing chemicals, Mm -hmm. hey, eat more carbohydrates. And that's what a lot of people are noticing. And I mean, again, we've all gone through this where the more carbs we eat, the more carbs we crave. The more sugar you eat, the more sugar you crave and, and, and so on and so forth. And so... The cool thing is that our microbiome can change within 24 to 48 hours, right? Yep. And that's why I'm such a huge proponent of let your next snack, let your next meal being a new moment. It's a a fresh Mm. start because we are voting with our forks, Mm -hmm. you know, and whenever we make the decision to eat better, to fuel better, that already within 24 to 48 hours, it's going to be easier, easier for us to start making better decisions because it's already shaping a different microbiome. Right. Yeah. That's like super that. interesting. It reminds me of uh, this phrase that I've always heard along the way is that like it, it's the concept of who's really in control, you know, right. based on the food cravings. Is it, yeah. is it, <laughs> I, am I in control or is it the microbiome that's really that's telling right. me? To <laughs> oh, you are, you are on point with that because you know, what I like about the Genova test is it's almost evidence for people for why they're sometimes feeling the way that they're feeling, right? Mm-hmm. They're, it's evidence for why they're having the hormone imbalance. It's 
evidence for why they're bloated. It's evidence for why they're making what food, why they're making the certain food decisions. Because if someone is like, oh my gosh, well, sugar is just like my thing. And we see that there have candida overgrowth happening in their gut. Well, Mm -hmm. For sure, that 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 yeast, that fungus, it's hungry, right? You know, right, yeah. and it's going to want you to have a higher carbohydrate diet to stay alive. And you guys bring up a solid point, which is: is it us? Is mm-hmm. it me? Is it in my head, or is it my my microbiome? Because the microbiome actually doesn't care so much about you; it just wants it <laughs> to be fed, right? right like right. it's us versus them. You know, there's more <laughs> gut bacteria than there are cells in our body, so mm-hmm. it's they're very opportunistic, and at any at any point they want to take over. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And even, I mean, earlier you were talking a little bit about neurotransmitters and we were talking about nutrition, but you know, it makes sense to anyone that your neurotransmitters or neurotransmitter imbalances can contribute to cravings. But in your book, Crave Reset, you spoke about GABA and dopamine receptors. Can you elaborate on the receptor part of that as well? Absolutely. And I'll even talk a little bit about the genetic component as it relates to dopamine because it's a big big problem Mm -hmm. and so serotonin and dopamine we can't talk about those two without talking about serotonin Mm because it's kind of like the god of neurotransmitters right so serotonin and dopamine they work together so whenever you're eating something that is a that you have a craving for in a sense you're telling your body okay this feels really good so serotonin the reason why cravings cravings can be really addicting is because it's, it just feels good, right? Mm -hmm. You get that serotonin spike that feels good. And what happens is that then dopamine comes around and says, Hey, this is really good. Let's solidify this behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so dopamine is the neurotransmitter that then solidifies that behavior and habit. So that's why serotonin and dopamine, they work really well together. Um, the thing with GABA, um, actually, I should talk about the genetic component of dopamine since we're talking about dopamine. Mm-hmm. Um, there, um, there's a number of people, and again, this is not just a matter of willpower, who may have a genetic mutation and don't produce enough of the dopamine receptors. And what can happen is that then you need more of the things you crave, more sugar, you crave more fat, you crave more of the savory things because you just, you are you are never satisfied, mm-hmm. right? Because both serotonin and dopamine, they provide a satisfying response in the body. And that's why, um, and there's of course a solution to it. Some people are hearing this, they're like, oh, I probably have a dopamine receptor <laughs> mutation. Right, right. You know, here, honey, here's proof. This is why I can eat all the ice cream in the world. Yeah, you're talking about proof. me. Yeah, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> You know, everybody's going to go to their partners today and say, I, I, I swear I have a dopamine receptor <laughs> mutation Dr. Lena talked about, <laughs> you know, and we, we can kind of get into, well, there's ways that we can, you know, genetics doesn't mean that that's our fate, right? There's right. things that we can do. There's things that we can do from dietary exercise, lifestyle, lifestyle perspective to correct those things. Mm-hmm. But GABA is really interesting. So typically, you know, and as physicians, we know that when GABA receptors are activated in the brain, they create a very soothing effect. It's an mm-hmm. anti-anxiolytic. So um, it can soothe anxiety. And what is the number one thing that people go to when they're stressed, when they're anxious, when they've just come back home from a really stressful day? Mm-hmm. What just takes that edge off of things? Mm-hmm. Alcohol. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. A glass of wine or two you know, a glass or a bottle of beer or a can of beer or whatever. And so 
that is a slippery slope for a lot of people because they cannot relax unless they have something that takes the edge off of things. You know, cigarettes, um, marijuana, all of those things can become easily addicting. And it's mostly because of that dopamine and GABA mm-hmm. interaction. Mm-hmm. Ple- pleasant, pleasure, pleasurable behavior, activating GABA, you know, and to reduce anxiety and the feeling of stress. And that be- that's why those things can become so highly addicting. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And then you're talking a little bit about, you know, how you can take every single moment to make a change to and start your kind of new path. What are some actionable steps that patients can take to kind of reprogram their dietary choices? Yeah, absolutely. The number one thing is let's get rid of the things in our diet that don't serve us. Yeah. Right. So this is the number one step is cleaning up your diet. And that means removing processed carbohydrates, including for some folks who, you know, who've been eating a lot of processed carbohydrates, it doesn't mean go grain free. I'm actually not against grains. Mm -hmm. Um, They can actually serve a really nice bridge between eating um, a poor diet and then incorporating a little bit of grains, you know, as to, to help along the way while you're modifying your diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting rid of processed sugar. I'm a, you know, I'm a huge proponent of finding sweetness in our lives in healthy ways. And that could be instead of eating sugar uh, through a candy bar, it's eating maybe a couple dates with peanut butter. Mm-hmm. And one thing that you will frequently hear, hear me talk about is pairing carbohydrates with protein. Because a lot of people are just walking around, you know, they have, have like a brown rice cracker. Oh, that's healthy. A little did they know they're going to be hungry after five minutes right. once mm-hmm. they have that. You know, oh, they just have a toast with butter. Well, you're going to be hungry within like 10 minutes of having that. And so I always tell my patients, okay, if you're going to have an apple, have like a tablespoon of cashew butter with that. If you're going to have a brown rice cracker, have like half of an avocado. If you're going to have cucumber slices and carrots, have some hummus with it, right? So we're just kind of pairing good sources of protein and fat. And so the number one thing is really do a dietary tracker on your own, fill out, you know, track your diet for three to four days, see your timing of your meals, um, what you're eating, monitor your mood, your energy, and any gut symptoms, and make that adjustment, right? If you're finding that you're eating something for breakfast um, and it makes you feel bloated, maybe that's not the best food for you, right? Maybe it's time to introduce maybe some something like some gluten-free oats or maybe it's, you know, introducing some eggs or whatever it is. Um, but the number one thing is really cleaning up our diet, incorporating more vegetables, higher food items, cutting back on the sugar. You know, sometimes when people say, well, I'm cleaning up my diet, I'm eating like four servings of fruit per day. I'm like, well, you know, how about we make two servings <laughs> right, of fruit right. per day? Right? Because people are thinking, well, this is better than a donut. I'm like, it still has a lot of sugar. That's right. right. So, so it's really, there's that education component of eliminating processed foods and incorporating more whole foods, but not losing sight of, you know, we're human and we want sweetness, right? right. We want sweets. And it's just finding alternatives uh, in my own journey of kind of beating sugar cravings, I just started to look for healthier um, sugar alternatives. So 
Um, in my book, you know, I start out, I think one of the first chapters, like I used to love carrot cake. Like that right. was my, that was my thing, you yeah. know, and after quitting tennis and going into triathlons, like I was like, oh, I can get away with this. Right. I can right. get away with eating a carrot cake. That's right. But I had, but I had acne and I was bloated and I was super depressed and unhappy with myself. I mean, I'm like, you know what, this is, this thing is not working out. And so, um, even in my own journey, it was like, okay, like, a couple of dates is better than eating a slice of carrot cake. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of dates paired with some cashews is much better, right? Right, right? You're getting the satisfaction from getting something sweet, but then you're getting a good source of fat and protein. Yeah. Like so that. those are a couple of examples. So I, I really think that just the diet is the first place to start and making sure that you're pairing your carbohydrates with your protein. So yeah. That yeah. that's great. Yeah. That's and the great. other thing I love about what you were just saying and alluding to is like at the end of the day, you also have to listen to your body and your body will tell you, yeah. you know, what things are working and not working. And I think that's, that's such an under, like a misunderstood or underrepresented way to approach dietary changes also. Yeah. I really, I really want people to start making a connection, be, be, you know, with the food choices that they make, how is this making them feel? And the other thing I would say is, you know, there's things like intermittent fasting or time restricted eating, and then there's skipping meals, right? right? right, right so right. when you're, when you're, when you're skipping, and those are two really different categories, when you're skipping meals, your blood sugar is all over the place and you're more likely to make a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. When you're in time restricted eating or intermittent fasting, your body is aware that there's a program in place, right? right it gets right, right. used to a certain rhythm. It's not, um, it knows when the next meal is going to come. It, it, it has a way of getting in sync and of helping you regulate your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a separate conversation with time restricted eating and hormone uh, imbalances and things like that. But in a way it's the, it's the other thing is like whenever you're making the dietary change. So we have to take into consideration that, Sugar is sometimes an addiction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And even in my practice, I pull people off of sugar, cigarettes, caffeine, alcohol so frequently that fasting is like intermittent fasting is not the time to, to incorporate it when you're working through an addiction, for example, right? Sure, right. We actually want to have more frequent meals. We want to tell our body, hey, it's okay. Let's keep our blood sugar stable. And then when the person feels good, they're more comfortable with making good decisions around food, when they have a good relationship with food, that's when we kind of start jumping into um, more of the fancier stuff like the time-restricted eating. Right, right. right. That's true. Well, earlier you talked about your absolute love for the GI effects, which we appreciate. Do you use use other testing when it comes to your patients, like things like nutritional testing or even hormonal testing? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few things that I use. So I definitely, I use the three hour SIBO test. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and typically, you know, the common thing with SIBO is patients will usually wake up feeling bloated or um, they feel very bloated in the evening or at nighttime. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if I do the GI effect and I'm a conservative test um, prescriber. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that patients need to have like four tests right. out of the door because sure. it can be, can, it's a lot of work for the physicians, but then it's very overwhelming for the patient. So I like to start out with a diet and then start with a GI effects test. And then if the symptoms don't improve after treatment, post GI effects review, 
then I'll sometimes jump into the SIBO test and, and see what happens. I'm also a huge proponent of um, the Nutra eval test mm -hmm. by Genova. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that, and I haven't seen another test as good as that on the market. The reason for that, again, you're going to know more about your brain health and nutrient deficiencies mm -hmm. than you've ever anticipated. But <laughs> that's part of us understanding cravings, right? Are we right. producing enough of those neurotransmitters and that the Nutrieval test really looks at the metabolites of those neurotransmitters and metabolites of different vitamins and nutrients to help us better understand what the patient um, is nutrient deficient in or even neurotransmitter deficient in or maybe too much. Right, right. Oh, right so right. those are I um, those are the main tests that I would say is the GIFX, the SIBO and the Nutrieval. I'm a huge proponent also of the um, salivary testing mm -hmm. for hormones yeah. as well and and even the urine testing that's great great great, great. Give, well a little bit of uh change in topic given your sports background do you oftentimes work with athletes do you do much in the way of optimizing sports performance oh absolutely and i would say more more so in the last couple of years i so just an interesting fact about me, actually, when I quit tennis, uh, I actually dove pretty heavy duty into mountain climbing mm -hmm. and I, uh, I did everything. I did rock climbing, alpine climbing, ice climbing, mountaineering, wow. mixed alpine climbing, all of those things. Wow. And oh. it was kind of my, my, um, my outlet, right? So mountains became my outlets and my refuge and and it was really interesting. So I became really involved in the climbing community mm -hmm. and it became really interesting. So, um, after I became a physician and practiced for a number of years, then a lot of climbers and actually professional climbers started to come to me to help optimize their nutrition mm -hmm. They're And, and it was, they're actually very, you know, very young athletes, like 16, 17. And I do actually work with some professional athletes. I work with professional climbers. I work with professional soccer players um, because there's such a need for not just nutrition optimization, but hormonal yeah. optimization and digestive care, you know, sure. and improving our digestion. And so I have athletes who will come in and well, these days it's vir virtual, but um you know, we'll have a conversation that they're just burnt out, yeah. right. right? They're not running as fast. They're not, um, they're not performing as well. They're feeling, feeling tired. They're feeling bloated. I have, um, women, professional soccer players who just don't feel like themselves. Um, you know, they, they have acne, they feel like they feel like they could lose 10 pounds and it's so hard for them because these guys, they're exercising for hours yeah. every single day and um, conventional medicine just hasn't answered their question of why am I gaining weight when I'm a professional athlete? Right. Why do I have acne uh -huh. when I have a professional chef cook meals for me? <laughs> right? right? Uh -huh. Like why are these things happening? So I'm really helping these athletes um, optimize their nutrition, their hormones and their digestive care. Cool. Well, you, you know, on our show, we talk a lot about diets, different kinds of diet, keto, carnivore, Mediterranean, plant-based. When you're working with your athletes or just in general, is there a specific diet that you think is optimal for, for optimizing someone's performance? I like a mixed paleo mm -hmm. diet. Okay. And the reason for that is I don't, I'm not against legumes. And I'm not against grains, but I think that they should be 
used in moderation. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And so, especially when I'm working with athletes, it is hard um, to just go off of keto, for example, because you need sometimes that quick fuel such as you get from carbohydrates, right? And glycogen stores. Um, I don't don't mind it when we need to maybe optimize our weight. So sometimes we'll do a little bit lower carb diet. But the reason why I like paleo is because it kind of takes the inflammatory foods out, right? Like the dairy and the gluten and some, a lot of people have sensitivities to legumes and to grains. So it helps us just to kind of clean up our diet and people nowadays, they know kind of what paleo is. So Mm -hmm. it's really easy to say like eat paleo and then maybe every other day have like a serving of, of grains or legumes, Mm -hmm. right. Or just kind of like sprinkle it on, sprinkle it on the salad. And, and, and the reason why I like that kind of mixed paleo is because it doesn't, it doesn't feel constraining or restraining for people. Um, it gives people a little bit of wiggle room. Um, and it's, it's, it's easier to kind of apply it to your everyday lifestyle. Nice. Got it. Nice. Got it. And you talked uh, earlier a little bit about time restricted feeding and uh, intermittent fasting. Do you do any more prolonged fasts in your clinic or, or recommend that to a particular patient population or just in general? I do like time restricted eating. I do like when, you know, when we do fast for about 14 to 16 hours. And I know that there's been a lot of research that shows really the metabolic improvements and cancer prevention mm-hmm. really happens at 16 hours and, and beyond. And I, you know, I, don't really recommend longer fasts. I think they need to be, for those fasts, we really need to be in a healthy place and a healthy state of being. Um, I think very few people can actually handle longer fasts than that. Um, And I, I, I really try to work on the foundations of health first, like the diet part, help people balance their hormones, make sure that they're eliminating on a daily basis, and then bring the time-restricted eating into into place. Having said that, though, having said that, though, uh-huh. you know, there are, there are times when my patients will come to me and they'll say, hey, you know what? I actually feel really good when one day a week I do a 24-hour fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they do feel great because through time-restricted eating, they become more fat-adapt yeah. And they actually feel great. They don't even have cravings for food. They don't have cravings for coffee. They have clarity. They feel so energized. So um, I, I will support the patients so when, w- in, their, in their goal, mm-hmm. right? And I also will tell people, like, if you're feeling really just not well, if your energy is not there, if you're not sleeping well, that's not the time to fast. That's not the time to really bring fasting into equation. But once you're comfortable with doing like a 14, 16, 18 hour fast, then, hey, you're ready for that 24 hour fast. But it's not like something that, you know, a patient comes in. I'm like, we're going to do some 24 hour fast. Yeah, Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, this has been a really great conversation. I I really appreciate you coming on, Dr. Elena. I'm going to say that we have one additional question that we call the fireball question that we ask everyone and we surprise (laughs) them with this. So uh, I'm going to turn this one over to Patty because she's the uh, she's the fanatic over here. I know. Well, I know you no longer play tennis, Elena, (laughs) but... 
there's the age-old question of camps, and I'm going to ask you to choose a lane between Federer or Nadal. You know what? I'm going to choose Nadal. Ah! Wow. See, I'll tell you. Michael said, Patty, everyone's going to pick Federer. This is a stupid I, question. I did. I thought this was like a <laughs> slam dunk question. I'm, I'm blown See, away, Michael, so. I told you. People <laughs> are very correct. polarized by this. Well, I was going to, I was going more the Agassi Sampras route too, but oh. which is a whole different conversation. But uh, yeah. Well, what's your, what's you your know, answer? What's, the, what's your answer there? Agassi or Sampras? Sampras. Oh, good. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> we love I just, it. I, I, I just, I, I love his, um, his playing style and Nadal. He's just, you know, I mean, of course they're both amazing. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. Nadal, but you know, Nadal, he's just, he's got, just has so much power and passion yeah. for the sport. Um, and, and I just, I, I appreciate the athleticism that yeah. he brings. That's great. That's great. That's great. Well, Dr. Elena yeah. Zinkoff, this has been an amazing amount of information and we're so thankful that you came on the show. We're going to encourage everyone to check out your website, Proactive Health, and see all the amazing things you're doing there. To check out your book, Crave Reset, a breakthrough guide for mastering the psychology and physiology of cravings. And we can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been really fun. Thank you, you guys. It's been such a pleasure and I hope that this benefits many. Yeah. Take care. I'm starting to think that the reason you crave bagels so badly uh. is that you have this dopamine receptor genetic abnormality that Dr. Zinkoff was talking about. One of many, I'm sure, <laughs> genetic abnormalities. But I will say that I overcame. You did. Uh, and it's a story using of naturopathic methods, <laughs> I was able to overcome the cravings. I'm so proud of you. bagels. And uh, yeah, here I am. See, you didn't even need Dr. Zinkoff's book, but I think I do. I really think it's a, it's an interesting approach to really take control of things that you think are out of your control. Why don't you pick up two copies? Because I, I have some other cravings <laughs> that I need to work on. That's a deal. Okay. Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to rearrange the furniture. You, you do know this is an audio-only show. Oh, it's going to sound totally different. <laughs> You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Great. Now I want some barbecue potato chips. And I want a bagel. <laughs> what kind of potato chips do you like? Uh, I'm a fan of the salt and vinegar potato chips. Really? Yes. I took you more for a sour cream and onion guy. No. no. Get out of here with the green bag. I need the blue bag. <laughs>